0: Reincarnation, Past Lives Revisited, where we will cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation, so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I'd like to thank Alexios Artos for his amazing sound engineering and editing work, and Raphael Crooks for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. Today's case takes us back to the First World War, as we discover the short but remarkable life of an American World War I ace fighter pilot, Frank Luke Jr. But before we meet Luke, who is our guest today and shares the same name, and hear about his memories, I'll need to give you a little bit of a backstory about World War One and how it came into being and America's part in it. So, to give a bit of an idea of how things all started and everyone's place in things, World War I came into being because Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in Sarajevo on June 28, 1914. Now, this is a very brief outline because, as with all things related to the war, there was a lot going on. Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated by a Bosnian nationalist, Gavrilo Princip, who was a member of a group called the Black Hand. Bosnia and Herzegovina had been annexed to Austria and Hungary. The Black Hand hated the annexation and hoped that the assassination would lead to the freedom of Bosnia-Herzegovina so that the countries could exist as a free Serb state. So if you've ever played Kaplunk or Jenga and got to that point where the whole lot was about to come down, you're basically looking at a model of European politics at the beginning of World War I. Various countries had tenuous alliances that were all reliant on peace being maintained. So when Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated, the Austrian government assumed that Serbia itself was responsible and not a rebel group, and it took it personally. They declared war on Serbia. Within a month, all of the fragile alliances tumbled down and World War I was declared. Everyone started calling in their favours and forming hasty alliances. The most prominent players were Germany, Britain, France and Russia. Germany? Germany? Russia and their allies were known as the Central Powers, and Britain and France and its allies were known as the Allied Forces. In the space of one month, the planet went from being at peace to major world war, with many theaters of war blooming across Europe pretty much simultaneously as the various countries declared war or were pulled into it when war was declared on their allies. At the time of all this major upheaval, America declared neutrality. However, many citizens were sympathetic to the Allied forces, and quite a few American institutions lent significant sums of money to the Allied governments. And this gave the U.S. a financial interest in the outcome of the war, and the Allies had access to almost limitless supply of money for the war effort. As the war progressed, America found itself having to reconsider its neutral stance for a number of reasons. One significant event that occurred was the sinking of the Lusitania by a German U-boat on the 7th of May 1915, with the loss of 1,198 passengers and crew, 128 of whom were American citizens, which caused an outcry in the States. The other concern was that in order to try and block supply to the Central Powers, which was Germany, Russia and their allies, the British Royal Navy, had blockaded transatlantic shipping lanes. Germany, for its part, was trying to do the same thing by using its submarines against American merchant and passenger ships because, of course, the US was providing financial support. Germany attacked passenger ships because they claimed they were carrying war munitions and ammunition to the Allies, making them a fair target. The American death started to climb, much to the dismay of its citizens. The submarine attacks had ceased for a period of time after the sinking of the Lusitania because of the strong backlash of public opinion about firing on civilian ships. However, by 1917, Germany had resumed its attacks. At the same time in 1917, British cryptographers were able to intercept and decipher Germany's Zimmermann telegram, whereupon they discovered that Germany was trying to entice Mexico to form an alliance with them offering American territory to Mexico if they became allies. And just for the record, the Mexican government at the time recognized the unfeasibility of the alliance and was not going to take up the offer. The final thing that happened is that, as I've mentioned before in Ben C's podcast, Russia and Germany were fighting to a stalemate on the Eastern Front, and realizing that both countries were likely to be ruined if they continued, they signed a peace accord known as the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. This freed up German resources and gave more forces available to fight on the Western Front against the Allies, turning the tide in favour of Germany. And so, America joined the Allies and went to war on the 4th of April 1917. On September 25th, 1917, five months after America declared war on Germany and Russia, a young man enlisted in the aviation section of the US Signal Corps and received pilot training in Texas and California. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant in March 1918 and deployed to France for further training. In July, he was assigned to the 27th Aero Squadron. Frank Luke Jr. was unlikely to ever get a Soldier of the Year medal from his superiors. He could be arrogant and had a tendency to fly alone and disobey orders. Because of this, he had difficult relationships with some of his commanding officers and was also disliked by some of the other men he flew with. Frank Luke Jr.'s contribution to the war effort was short but extremely effective. In a 17-day period, he secured his legacy by attacking observation balloons with his close friend, Lieutenant Joseph Frank Wainer. He destroyed 14 German balloons and four aircraft, earning himself the title of the Arizona Balloon Buster. Attacking military balloons was a very dangerous occupation as they were very heavily defended by anti-aircraft guns on the ground and often there was a lot of plane cover. Observation balloons were very useful to the enemy, as they could rise to great height well above the ground fire, and from such elevated heights could watch the enemy forces' movements on the battlefield. The Allies used them as well, opting to send untethered balloons over the enemy lines, so they could drop propaganda leaflets, and as their enemies also did, they used tethered balloons to gain information about troop movement as well. The effectiveness of the balloons at gaining troop movements made them important targets and Frank Luke Jr.'s squadron had a standing order to take out observation balloons. This standing mission seemed to suit Frank Luke Jr. much better than following the orders of his squadron leader. If he was sent on missions, he would frequently do his own thing. He would refuse to follow orders or he would abscond with an excuse and return to the base later and for a lot of people this would have landed them in deep trouble. But Frank Luke's commander seems to have had some sympathy for the young man, and he opted to let him fight the war in his own way. Frank Luke Jr. and Joseph Weiner began a string of victories together, with Luke attacking the balloon and Weiner providing flying protective cover. Frank Weiner was killed on September 18th by Georg von Hantelmann, who was a German fighting ace with 25 kills under his belt. Weiner died in a dogfight with Fokker D-7s, which were a German fighting plane. After Weiner was hit, Luke shot down two of the D-7s, two balloons, and snared his final credit kill of a C-type observation plane of the Flieger Abteilung, or the pioneering field aviation units that began what would become the Luftstreitkrafter, or the German Air Service. So now that you have some background on who this remarkable young man was, Let's join Luke for his recollections of his past life memories. I'd like to welcome Luke to the podcast. Luke has his own story that he has been dealing with for quite a long time on his own, and he's very bravely come forward to talk. So welcome to the podcast, Luke.
1: Thank you for having me. It's so great to talk to you.
0: It's great to talk to you because we connected and you have a very interesting story. We'll go through the thing right from the very start. Did you believe in reincarnation and did you have much of it in your life as a child? Or?
1: Yeah, it popped up at a very young age and then it goes away. You get very busy in life and it's a rare conversation uh, in public, at work or parties. You don't necessarily talk about it, but I've always believed that it does fit into life, into our the master plan.
0: Yeah, I think you feel the same as me because we shared a conversation before we started and you said that... Uh... You have tried to misprove reincarnation and you can't. It just did. I did the same thing when I came to it. I was like, well, let's test this out and we'll see if it works. And if it doesn't, well.
1: Kind of like a, a mathematical formula. If it keeps showing that, that it's true and it works and it fits people's lives and many innocent children come up with true memories. So it's hard to disprove. So I believed in it and I've always looked at it skeptically to try to disprove it. And I can, I've never myself been able to.
0: No, me either. So were your parents particularly, I think you mentioned that they are more of a traditional sort of faith base. Is that right?
1: Oh, yeah. I warned you that uh, I have uh, religious beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't like to touch on them too much, but it is accepted. So God is in my story. Some people call it karma, the universe, whatever you want. There's a source of this energy, you know, and you can tap into it. I've, I think Einstein called it the ether. So I grew up, my parents were hippies, believe it or not, and one parent was American, so I had that culture, you know, I really drew to the American culture. So my dad was great raising me, he let me tell my stories, sometimes we didn't own a television until maybe age nine, or seven or eight or nine, somewhere in there, but I was very young, and I would tell him I saw a show last night, and it it wasn't, it was a dream. He would... Indulge me. He would entertain my thoughts and my stories and he would let them go. So we've recounted this as adults.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, so you started off with dreams, really, of your memories. Oh, so. yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like they were so vivid, even through my whole life. I've always said you have to retain that. You have to remember that feeling and what you saw in your dream because it was so young and it was so real. Like I described to my parent that it was uh, like a show I watched, a movie or a TV show or because other kids did have televisions, I knew what a television show was. So I described the gear that I was wearing, and my friends were wearing, and it all matched, you know, we, we were all wearing uniforms. And, but I was probably five years old. So as adults, me and my dad would chat about it. A lot of accuracy is lost, you know, I can't tell you what buttons, what fabric. But anyways, he would allow me to tell my stories and, and be myself, you know,
0: that's great. So, what were you actually dreaming about? What, what were the, and was it a recurring dream, or were you seeing different dreams each time?
1: No, it was a, a timeline, and it was always wearing these specific uniforms, and it was always with my friends, so to say. And there was uh, a lot of us doing uh, participating in this. To me, as a child, it was never a a war or a fight or a conflict, more a competition. You know, it was more brothers in arms or brothers in competition. Anyways, the clothing was definitely like a a uniform in a modern war. And so things like the, I I would just describe it to my dad. He would ask me, what were you guys doing? Where did you go? And I would describe things like saving a town or helping a town. And obviously aircraft was a huge part of it. It it always has been actually.
0: So you remembered being a pilot, you saying?
1: Yeah, not in the dream, actually. Like I say, I had a great dad. He really was involved. You know, some parents bend down and play with their children, and some don't always do that. Well, he's the kind of guy that would always bend down and participate in in what a child is doing. So I was lucky. I grew up in the country, and there was a small grass airfield behind us. Mm -hmm. And my dad noticed I would go behind our property and watch the little aircraft. And he would talk to me about airplanes. And I told him probably a few times, maybe three or four times, that I could do that. And this was a, the little airplane was an acrobatic airplane. Like um, he was doing loops in the air. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a ch- American Champion Decathlon. That's the make and model. A little inexpensive aerobatic airplane. So he would take me to the roof of the barn... And we would watch this pilot do loops, and I would tell him how I can do those loops, and I can fly that plane. And he thought it was interesting, you know, but I don't think he ever grasped that this could potentially be a past life. See, he was a bit of a hippie, but he was into paranormal, he was into everything, you know. But he never really, like, said to me, hey, this might be your past life. So I never grasped that, hey, this might have something to do with it, but sure as heck... I was adamant that I want to go in the plane. I can know how to do it. So I think that's about all, everything in the five to six age range that popped its head up or that we remember that as adults we spoke about, you know?
0: Oh, okay. So your, your dad still remembers this now as well? Right. Oh, is he still, yep. is he still all around?
1: No, I lost him. to he, he went to be with the Lord five years ago.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Luke. He sounds like he was a great dad.
1: Oh, yeah. Special guy. Like uh, a best friend. So, some people believe we choose some of the people in our path, you know, Mm. either we cross paths or possibly be born to people. And I think it was a very special connection. Maybe he was supposed to be in my life, you know, that kind of a, a role model, a hero.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And actually, too, maybe he was aware that it could have been a past life, but didn't want to actually say that to you because some people are very intuitive and don't want to lead you down. A path, which is good. That's actually great that he did that. That he didn't put any preconceptions in your mind.
1: He's a free thinker. Like I, to, he would definitely allow people to be themselves. So there's actually a couple other things that I've like later in life. Now that I I feel that I've discovered past life memories and they match. Have you ever heard of Art Bell? He used to have a show called Coast to Coast AM. It was a paranormal show syndicated across North America, so you may not have heard it in Australia. He talked many things reincarnation, so I've always been exposed to it and understand it. I have my own little beliefs. I don't think you have thousands of lives. I think you have maybe a handful, you know, 10 to 20. Yeah, I believe that you have a handful of, of lives and that you're going to get judged on those lives. Like you've heard of Judgment Day. Many people in the religious field believe in Judgment Day. And so it's an accumulation of lives, kind of like a thread, a needle going through fabric. You know, you go in and out of the veil from one side of the veil to the other. And when you're on this side of the veil, you necessarily can't see the other side. But on the other side, I believe that you can see what's going on here. Also, when you pass over to the other side, I believe that you can help and you have choices, and you learn from your past life. So if you had, let's say, six lives or 10 lives in a row, your first life would not affect your third or fourth or fifth. But if you were in your fourth or fifth life, your first and second would affect who you are and how you get along in life, you know?
0: I do agree with that. I think actually that while we don't necessarily remember every life, I think they are an accumulation, and you, and you become... Each incarnation actually makes gives you more clarity, gives you more learning, gives you more life experience. I suppose you could say in some ways, and I think that that you can have things that happened, you know, through in your third life, say that actually comes up in your current life. It's a bit like too. I met a psychiatrist who believes in past lives, and she actually said we carry we still carry some of the baggage through as well.
1: If you're gonna carry the baggage, it has to be past behind you. We don't carry future baggage. And, yeah exactly. And so also we we're acquiring knowledge as we're living, so that's why the world is in a higher state of knowledge now than a thousand years ago.
0: Yes, um, I agree with that actually, and I think that things are definitely changing in the reincarnation world that way as well. There seems to be a lot of people who are a lot more interested in it now, which is quite good.
1: So, yeah, it's being taken seriously in many different uh, realms, you know.
0: Yeah. So uh, with so- regard to your case, you had the memories as a child. Did you sort of realize that what you'd experienced were past life memories at that point? Or did you kind of realize you'd had some sort of strong dreams, but hadn't really made the connection?
1: Oh, no, I knew something was up. Like, I've always, I remember anytime a person would ask me what job I wanted, or what job I think was a good job, and fighter pilot, fighter pilot. And I would tell people in school that I am a fighter pilot, I'm going to be a fighter pilot, or I was a fighter pilot. So these were constant comments that would come out when I'm playing hockey. Or at school or on the bus and when you know when you're a, a child you just go you go with it and so it was always with me like inside I would joke with friends that hey I, f- I feel like a pilot inside and little things like you're always looking for a place to crash land if something if your engine quit at this instant what is behind you to the side of you or in front of you that's the best landing spot and this thoughts like this would just run through my mind and you can't really share them with people. And when you're very young, you don't know that it's a past life thing. And nobody's coaching you on it. My father was really good with me when I was young. And one hobby that we had was to chase hot air balloons. At the time, you don't know that it's a such a close behavior to a past life. But looking back now, that would be like a synchronicity or some sort of a sign to me. And I remember we would constantly get in the pickup truck. And if we spotted any hot air balloons in the sky, which was frequent because they had festivals in the local town and there was, it was a (laughs) tourist area. So hot air balloons were probably every summer in the air and we would chase them. And I would tell him we had to put the balloon on the ground. We had to follow it until it landed on the ground. If we abandoned halfway through, he'd have a child that was kicking and screaming the whole way home. But if we could watch that basket hit the ground, we got him. We finished the task, you know? And so I never heard of a balloon buster, Frank Luke Jr. My whole life, I've never heard his name. In fact, he's not really a highly sensationalized hero. A lot of people have, have never heard of him. And so I only heard about the particular person who I believe my memories match, Frank Luke Jr. When I was the age of 35, I bought a used book. And it was a very weird day that I bought the used book. The date on the receipt was 101 years to the day that he died. And I didn't plan on going to the store to make that happen. It was something I noticed when I got home. Now, 101 doesn't mean anything to me, but um, it was kind of weird that exactly 101 years to the day, I was searching my dreams and memories, and they matched a particular pilot that had previously lived, you know. And 25 years prior to searching these little memories and dreams as a child, it's kind of like you can't make that up. You can't come up with things, wait 25 years, and then search it and have it match. So there's little details of a motorcycle. There's little details of skating with wool socks on a polished hardwood floor. And these would be small dreams that I've had in my teens, possibly. Um, and I kept a journal, because I'm a, I go to church, and they suggested that we keep a dream journal. And so I would keep a dream journal. And if it was very profound feeling, visual, like if it was one of those sweat, wake up in a terror kind of dreams, I would write it down. And I would describe it in as much detail as I could. There's a slight bit of interpretation required. It's not always a bang on thing, you know. And I just have accumulated a lot of these notes. To me, it is proof that the past life memories match a deceased pilot, but it's not proof to anybody else. I've learned that in the last few years since I bought the book about Frank Luke Jr.
0: You had dreams of his life then, not just his death, but actually of his life, you're saying. You you had like little snippets of things of his life that you would dream about. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like these little flashbacks. And this is before I ever heard of the pilot, Frank Luke, and it's so strong, like it isn't like, hey, somebody told a joke at work today, that was funny. I mean, this would be like a spiritual feeling when you wake up and you keep it, you know that it's a true feeling. It's so deep inside of you in your heart, you know, and I write it down and buzzing down a country road on a little mini bike. So in my dream, it was a very, very small motorcycle and I was using a toy gun and it's uh something i've never actually done in this life so i either made that up or it's uh because i wrote it in my journal and it was so strong that maybe in a past life i rode a motorcycle down a county road and shot a rifle or a pistol or something off of the side of the the motorcycle and so 20 years later this uh hardback book that i purchased describes this deceased pilot doing that he's on a motorcycle and he's shooting his pistol at trees as he goes down the county road. And so as I read that in that chapter, it's like I'm dumbfounded. I don't know what to make of it, you know? I don't know who to tell. I don't know how to move forward. So I dismiss it, you know? It's possible the universe or God plays tricks on people. But then I move on to another one and another one, and I probably could, what would you call them? Synchronicities?
0: Uh, I I think synchronicity is definitely a big thing.
1: And you can't prove that to people because it's my journal. I read the book, you know, it, it just, it's hard to prove. So
0: it is good uh, though, that you wrote it down. Like, do you still have the dream journal?
1: Oh yeah. And also little books, you know, you have little books in school and every day you write an entry into it. I have like grade two to seven or something. And there's an alarming number of army aircraft depicted in these books. And I think a couple comments as to my plane, you know, my plane, my plane. And any kid, I have a whole bunch of toy planes, and I used to love the movie Top Gun. It was my favorite movie. And my dad let me watch it at a very young age. So one could say he's, that's how he acquired it. But I know for me, it was... um, In a dream, when there's an aircraft and I'm in the aircraft, it's always a biplane. It always has two wings when you look out the window. I mean, not the window, to the left or right. The instrument panels changed. So I had a reoccurring dream of flying aircraft at a young age. And the plane on the exterior never changed, but the interior was always different. And I remember one dream that was really amazing that made me actually pursue my pilot's license. And it was like, The interior of a Boeing 747, it was all these switches and gauges and knobs and almost uh, spacecraft-like. And so when I woke up, it was like what I was trying to feel is, imagine if you were alive in the year 1918 and the aircraft is barely 15 years old and these beautiful brand new planes are being invented. And I think to many people, it would appear like a space craft-like almost what SpaceX is doing today for us flying to Mars. And so it really would have been exhilarating. And, you know, there's all these fixations I've had prior to finding a story that matches my memories. They were just really elevated fixations with uh, World War One aircraft, France in particular, that, that area of the conflict and the timeline too. I'm always reading a lot of history about the timeline of how this all happened. And something for me that I've always said to people, what a shame it would be to be a soldier that perished weeks or days prior to the the end of the war. And there's like, these lingering feelings I have that are right at the surface, you know, and there's actually a lot more memories, I can tell that are right at the surface. And I've actually read three books now about Frank Luke Jr. And so I'm trying to be skeptical and careful and I don't want to move forward into the realm of imagination right so I've saved my notes my records and I've kind of pressed pause on some things except for you Marilyn I'm very glad I found you and you've been so kind and helpful with your messages
0: Oh, that's my pleasure I'm just so grateful you reached out to me because it's a fascinating case I really do feel you do have a genuine case I think you are Frank Luke
1: yeah and I know I am. Thank you for saying that to me. So there's two things. Uh, I try to look forward. Like, what's the next step? How do you?
0: Well, before we go the next step, you mentioned that you had some uh, a synchronicity. We kind of got a little off track there. You said you had another synchronicity. Did something else happen? Or,
1: okay. So, uh, yeah, when I moved to the city from the country, my parents put me in air cadets as per my request, and I attended air cadets for a year and a half. And I was nine and ten, and I was kicked out for being insubordinate at the age of nine. And I was brought down to the the main general or officer that ran the air cadets in my city. He brought me down to his office and, and he made some notes. And I'd actually like to contact him and see if they still have my file of why they kicked a 10-year-old out of air cadets. And uh, what I told them is I I don't have patience to go fly. I'd like to fly now. And they said that the next time you're going to be in the air is age 14 in a glider. And I would argue and fight and tell them that I know how to fly a plane. And I'd like to go to the base where the aircraft are. And it was a constant. Every time they would address me formally, it was like a bit of a, I'm better than you. I know how to fly already. I can fire the guns already. And so it was insubordinate. They would tell my parents, like, he's very difficult to deal with. <laughs> you know, the Army's not easy when you're a kid. They mm-hmm. make you march for a very long time. and It was really a lot of camping, and it, it just, the aviation wasn't there. And every time I complained about it, they didn't like it. Looking back, I say to myself, why wouldn't I have stuck through with it? Because it would have been an amazing career, you know, and it's possible I would have flew for the Canadian Air Force. Wow,
0: that's amazing, isn't it? That Even, uh, even at that age, that's what I mean. You're saving grace. You said you weren't sure where to go forward from here, but you're saving grace that is incredible because most people don't have this, is that you have documented everything. And right there, people may say that's not proof, but in the reincarnation world, that is proof. That's why we keep saying to everyone when they say, my child is saying this, the first thing you'll see anyone say in signs of reincarnation or any of the other forums is document, document, document. Because if you can document that you had that dream before you find out who the person was, like you did, that's actually really strong. That's really, really strong. You don't get that very often. Yeah.
1: So your case is and remarkable. So imagine as a 35-year-old telling your friends and your family and your peers at church that you believe you're a deceased World War I pilot. They're not going to take it kindly, and it's going to stir up spiritual beliefs in them. Do they even believe in reincarnation? And then second, this guy's trying to steal valor. He's trying to claim somebody who, who performed very well in the line of uh, service. And so, like, there's two levels there. One is reincarnation in a whole. Does it exist? Is it real? And then two is a person that claims they have a memory. And so I've proven it to myself. I believe God gives people something called revelation. It's like receiving revelation from the other side, from a, maybe a deceased person, an angel. And so today as an adult believing in reincarnation and being posed with this confrontation that it's really upset my life, the few people that I've talked to about my claim being Frank Luke, they don't nobody has takes kindly to it. So I spend a lot of time meditating, praying, and keeping the dream journal going, you know? And I'd like to I've reached out and researched who the best regressionists are because I feel there's a tremendous amount of memories that are percolated right at the top and ready to be told and maybe even prove it a little bit more. So Marilyn, hear this out for one second. I would really like to prove my case. And so this is what I'd like to, how I'd like to prove it is there in the book, I read that the family that uh, is related to Frank Luke has submitted all of their letters to the Air Force. And that's incorrect. That's not true. There's a whole bunch and bundle of letters prior to him arriving in France. And these were not submitted. And I know this because I've rewrote them. Now, as I feel the letters coming to me, I write it down, and I read it over. And then I correct the letter. And when I feel that it's done, I put it away. And I'm I've emailed and I'm trying to reach out to the family that holds these letters under lock and key, because if they'd be so kind to compare them, it would be proof, not just to me, but to some other people.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So you actually remember letters that you wrote and you've you've rewritten them. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. And I don't think they're going to match 99, but even if it was 75% or even a couple phrases or quotes or like the obsession of please keep my personal item, please keep my, uh, you know, things safe. Perhaps I sent home items from souvenirs from the war Mm. and they're saved in places. Some of them are saved in Dayton, Ohio. Some are in Phoenix and some are are not known to the public. Do you remember the things he sent home? So here's where we get into, I read it in a book and it piques my memory. It's uh, pieces of machine guns from aircraft and whatnot. There was a lot of training equipment. Downed, A downed hun is what they called them. If you could take a piece, a souvenir with you, it was a huge bragging rights. And I know I've done this in my particular life here. So I was born in 1982 uh, here in Toronto, Canada. And I always like to tell people that because to make sure they don't think that I'm the same person still alive. So my spirit is the same, and it's a brand new body, brand new DNA born in 1982. So for me, the behavior is, is a huge match to the way Luke did things. It's the same way I do things. And so he shipped home parts of downed aircraft, mainly machine guns. And so those were not turned over to the Air Force as souvenirs for museums or anything they're kind of hidden. Nobody knows where they are. I don't know where they are. That would be pretty cool, though, to have my bicycle or my machine gun back. (laughs) (laughs) So if I've read these books about him, it's kind of scares me because now people can say at this point, moving forward, you've taken some information from these authors. So what I have to do is focus on something that's deeper or different than what's published. And the biggest thing for me is what he did in the war was the last 17 days of his life. Prior to that, he was just another chap trying to make his way in 1918 and 17 and 16. And so he was an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. He lives life as, you know the phrase, send it, just send it, maybe before somebody hits a mountain bike jump. So I live my life where you just send it every day. And that's the same way he lived. So for me, it's like, as I found out about his behavior in life, it really helped me move forward in my life, you know. I realized that I think people acquire bad tendencies and good tendencies through past lives. And if you could, if someone could learn about themselves in the past, it could really help you progress in your current life, you know. And that's probably why it's worth it to people to research what they're going through and what they're feeling and what they remember. And dreams aren't perfect. But even in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar had a very, very specific dream. And Daniel, I think, was the only one that could interpret that dream. So to me, being a religious person, God speaks to you through dreams. And so I'm hoping that as I move forward, I continue to have gods looking down on me and shining down on me and giving me dreams. Um, Maybe for a minute, Marilyn, could I explain to you how I found out about Frank Luke?
0: Yes, that'd be great.
1: Oh, maybe before I tell that, there's another synchronicity that I found looking back in my past is everything that ever happens or every tool or invention or car or clothing or music, I would always refer it back to 100 years ago. I'm always referring back to 100 years ago like boy, this uh, sink is really beautiful, or this kitchen is very beautiful compared to 100 years ago. And the cars and the food, everything in my life has always been compared to 100 years ago, which is just a synchronicity. It's no proof by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Speaking of music, um, when you were a kid, did your, with your music taste as a kid, were they sort of older than your age would be, or did you like uh, current stuff?
1: You know, to be honest, I didn't like music until I was in my late, late 20s. I couldn't remember band names, lyrics. People would say they're going to a concert. It didn't make sense to me. Like, why would you stand there and watch someone play an instrument? It's so boring when you can go to a racetrack or an airfield and fly planes and cars and stuff. So we did have a gramophone. It's a record player from 100 years ago. And I love this gramophone. I've saved it. And you crank the side of it, and out of this big uh, microphone comes a muffled sound of your record. And yes, we had uh, old, old records that we would play. And it's just like it's comforting when you're in your era. When you see things from your era, when you feel the energy from your era, the turn of the century, it's a huge time in society, 19 to 1920, you know, it's a very big time frame. And I wish you could time travel, but all you can do is research history. Another thing about my claim to being Frank Luke Jr. is I've read like many, many stories. I love history. I love war history and certain characters, you know, and nothing has ever stuck. Nothing has ever matched. Nothing has ever given me the feeling or inspiration that when I got that book and I sat down and read it, it was like an emotional roller coaster, a spiritual roller coaster where every other piece of literature or documentaries that I watch, it's barely entertainment to me, you know? It only makes me think of war or dream of the days back then. But then when I found this particular story about Frank Luke, it was, to me, it's still, I'm still on a spiritual high from it. Also, there's a lot of discrepancies of like, hey, you can't take someone who has earned a Medal of Honor in a war and claim to be him and personally, I'm like, yeah, I can, because nobody else has, nobody else is, and nobody else ever will claim to be him. So if reincarnation is real, then process of elimination, I'm him, you know?
0: No, but I agree with you. I think one of the things that is interesting, people always make the claim of, oh, people always claim to be someone famous when they're talking about reincarnation. Well, fame is a kind of a weird thing. You've got fame, and then there's fame. And as you say, Frank Luke Junior is not someone who is extremely famous. He's not a Marilyn Monroe. He's not someone that, the minute you say his name, everyone knows it. And so, if you are seeking out fame or fortune, and you do get people who, for some reason, seem to be drawn to a life and feel that they were that life, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis, you know, you get a lot of those. You'll you'll find there's must be fifty seven Elvises around the world. But um, in actual fact, uh, that's a different thing to what you're experiencing because you're experiencing. Talking about someone who had, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, a a limited amount of fame, if you know what I mean. It's it's a very specific fame to a genre, if you get my drift.
1: I just read in a book this year. So this is a new information to me that he was on the front cover of uh, newspapers for one morning. He was the leader in shooting down aircraft for like a week, you know, a couple of days. And like not in a million years would I want to do this, would I go out in public? and go to the friends and family and peers and and ruin my reputation by claiming to be this person. Nor can I completely ignore it. It's on my mind every day. It has put pieces to the puzzle in my character and behavior to help me move forward in life. To me, this is proof that it's from God. They say in religion that everything good comes from God. And to me, this was really good. So it has to come from God. And let me just share with you how I found Frank Luke. And it's amazing. It shows how naive some people are. And we're characters of our learned behavior. And so I grew up in a family, fifth born, same as Frank. And I just blended in and I grew up and I went on my own. And I tried to get my pilot's license three different times in my life, it didn't work out. So, you know, I was in my early 30s and I constantly had this urge and memories and my journals and a few things, synchronicities that have happened. And I'm like, this has got to be a past life. I know that I was a pilot that died in an aircraft in a past life. And it wouldn't go away. I actually wanted it to go away. That was my goal. By going through the researching reincarnation and going through religion, I was trying to disprove this so that I could move on, you know. And some people say it can be your mind creates it. And I thought, okay, let's put it to the test, you know. And you try to create other things. Nothing works like a past life memory. It's like a mathematical equation. It just fits, it works. But I didn't know anything about Frank Luke. And I didn't actually know that you could search past soldiers so easily that there was such detailed records on past soldiers. So for five to 10 years, the little dream journal grew, and my belief in reincarnation grew. And I kind of couldn't handle it anymore. It was too much memories, it was too many feelings of World War I that wouldn't go away. So I took it to uh, church and I asked people at church how to solve problems or get answers and you pray, you pray, you pray. And so I prayed so vigilantly and honestly, and I was I'm a worthy recipient of an answer of a prayer. And literally, when I was on my knees, I hate it when people say this. God spoke to me. It's not the right phrase. God gave me a download, an impression on my heart, you know? And it is like a communication. You feel this. And I heard, this is exactly what the answer to my prayer was. I prayed if the dreams and the memories were false or real. And the answer to my prayer was, if you were a pilot, what would you have been? And my answer immediately was an ace. and then my brain's like, holy smokes, like, if this is possible, there's a record. And I was like, the records are all at the, um, they have uh, archives in America and, and France and everything. And I just was so excited that there's a record maybe and possibly I could find a picture or a document. And I went to the computer and typed in Luke WW1. And it was like getting hit by a freight train. Because when you look at a picture of yourself in a past life, it's very uh, unusual. And then as you start to read it, at first, it's almost unreal, right? And that's why I'm still on a journey. I'm open to a regressionist to disprove me or uh, somebody to say, hey, I can disprove your case, but I don't think anybody can. And I'm going to move forward like I can prove it's true, you know?
0: Can I just ask, you said that you had the feeling like the answer to your message went through the prayer. And you went and then typed in Luke WW1. Did you get that image of your name is Luke or did you just somehow know?
1: Oh, so yeah, this I didn't write down in my journal accurately. I don't remember if the name Luke was in my prayer at all, you know, but I have had the impression that my name was Luke in a past life. And this was probably as an adult. And it's because when people say, they say the nicest sound you'll ever hear is your own name. And I actually have my first name is different than my middle name. My middle name is Luke. And when people call me by anything other than Luke, it doesn't strike me. And so, no, to answer your question, there was no indication that uh, the name Luke was associated to my past life. Not that I can honestly say, you know.
0: Well, it is in the sense of you've had that feeling all your life. You've had that feeling from.
1: So this, I wrote it down. This is exactly how the prayer went. I prayed and I said, I'd like to know if all the memories and dreams and feelings are true or false. And the answer was, if you were a pilot, what would you have been? And then I like literally out loud jumped up off my knees and I was like, you know, an ace, I would be an ace, God. That's what I would have been. It's very arrogant to say that. And it's like, some people are like, it's impossible and it's not impossible because 40, 50, 60 million people died in the two world wars. Where are those spirits today? They're being born all over and they're getting their second chances. These were young, valiant people, you know? And so when I said that I was an ace, I'm an ace God. And uh, I just had the impression to go and search the name Luke. And it wasn't an answer or a voice. And to be honest with you, Marilyn, I pray a lot. eh? And I pray for like other people, for myself, for a good life, even for money and for love and all those things that people look for. And I don't get answers ever, but the prayers are answered. I do get a, a good paycheck or a, or I do get a what I'm looking for in the prayer. But this one was so deep and it was so spiritual. I actually felt God say to me that, hey, you know, go search. And if you were a pilot, what would you have been? You are the first person I've talked to about it, you know. So I've had to confine so much uh, feelings and memories and excitement and so, all sorts of things. And it's a hard path, reincarnation, to go down the road all by yourself, you know. It's not established like religions or uh healthcare system doesn't incorporate it. And so I really appreciate what you're doing.
0: Luke and I had such a long and interesting conversation in our session that I think I might split this recording into two parts so I don't have to lose any of the really excellent content and you get to hear all we discussed. Apologies for the roughness in my voice in this episode. My husband Matthew and I caught COVID on the return trip from our honeymoon and it left me with this most annoying cough that may be reflected over the next few episodes, so I beg your patience with me as poor Alex is left trying to wrestle with me coughing my way through things. Thank you for joining me for this first part of my conversation with Luke. I don't really like doing multiple-part episodes because I personally am not a big fan of the cliffhanger and being asked to wait for the next part. So I'll try and release this two-part episode simultaneously so that those of you who are keen to hear more can just sally forth straight into the next one. So join us soon for the second part of Luke's Memories of Frank Luke Jr. And thank you for listening to Reincarnation, Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about Reincarnation, or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them, and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr@gmail.com at or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. If you'd like to support me, I'd be honoured if you'd become a Patreon supporter. You can find me on Patreon under reincarnationplr. I don't do extra content, or at least not yet, but it is coming, but your support helps me to keep pumping out content faster and it lets me keep on doing what I hope you love hearing. We'll be back again soon with another episode but until then remember you are unique and your life has a purpose.